Wonderful. Well, good morning. It's an absolute delight to be back in your great city and uh, to be back in your great nation, but also to be with you guys this morning. A real, real privilege. I was driving down from Belito this morning. I got a text from my dad. Uh, he's in Australia. That's where they live. And he texted me and said, praying for you in my favorite city. And I'm praying for you in one of my favorite churches. So I just want to just send love and greetings from my parents. They're based in Australia. We don't get to see them too much. I was just recently there, and I had a good time with them. But uh, they're praying for you. They're delighted to hear the good news of what God's doing in and through you and His favorite city. So I'm just passing on those greetings to you. This is a great place. We agree? I realize you have challenges. Believe it or not, we have challenges in the U.S. as well. I've, I've been here and heard from you how bad it is in America. So... It is pretty bad. I watch your news. You like to talk about us. I guess it deflects about your problems, but we all have problems. But we are super delighted just to be part of what God's doing in this time and season. In all the craziness, God is doing what He said He was going to do. And I, I really do. Just thank you, Stan and Heather, the eldership team here, the deacons and elders and saints and sinners and Cameron, the sinner over there. I do just want to thank you for the opportunity, the partnership. Love how Stan introduced this. This is not just guest speakers and friends. We're in a mission together. We're doing our utmost in God to work together with those He's called us to work with, not to do our thing and hope God's in it, but to find out what God's doing and continue to work in that and be all He's called us to be in all situations, times, and circumstances. We believe in what we do because we see it in the Scriptures. You know, in 2019, pre-COVID, I was preaching in Toronto, Canada, and uh, it was in November of 2019, and a man came up to me, a prophetic guy who's on our team, and he said, you know, Tyron, I had this dream last night, and I get nervous when prophets dream, and he said, uh, not because I'm scared, I just don't know what's going to come out of their mouths, and uh, he said, Tyron, I had this dream last night that I was, you were driving, he was driving a vehicle on the way to an NCMI prayer meeting. I was delighted because I was preaching on prayer, so it confirmed what I was saying. And he said, and I dropped everybody off at the prayer meeting, and then I went and parked my vehicle, and then I got out of my vehicle, and I started walking to the prayer meeting, and then I remembered that I, I forgot my Bible and my notes in the vehicle. And so he turned around, and he went back to the vehicle, only to find that the vehicle was gone. Now, we can make some jokes. We'll just move on. We are in different. We're in South Africa. We're in Durban. Yes, okay. All right. Sorry. Bad joke. That was Stan, not me. I left a moment and Stan took the bait. And he said, and the vehicle disappeared, it was gone. And he was, he was distressed, not because the vehicle was gone, but because his Bible and his notes were in the, in, in the vehicle. He began walking to the prayer meeting, and on the, side of the road, on the way to the prayer meeting, he found his Bible in the sidewalk, but his notes were gone. And then we all came out of the prayer meeting and said, hey, where you been? You've missed a great prayer meeting. Now, this was before COVID. This was before the shutdown and the global shut down that came. And he said this, I feel God saying the interpretation of my dream is this, that the vehicle represents ministry or the church. It disappeared. And he said, I feel God saying coming out of the season is going to require prayer because I was on my way to a prayer meeting and it's going to require the Word of God because it wasn't my notes that I preached that I found. It was only the Word of God, and my notes had been taken away. And so then there were three months later, the whole world shut down. 
Three months later, ministry and the church and how we do things was stopped for a moment and the whole world was forced to relook. The whole church was forced to relook at some stuff, relook at the things we've been doing. And, and I, I just want to challenge you and say, thank God he never knew that this pandemic, I'm not God knew, but the prophetic God did not know this was going to happen. I phoned him a few days, a couple of months later. I said, did you know this was going to happen? He said, of course I didn't. I'm grateful for honest prophets. But this I tell you, I might have missed the shutdown, but this I don't want to miss is that we are on mission to make sure prayer is essential because God needs His people to be praying. Because I love that statement that prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. It's amazing how few churches pray. And then COVID hit and everybody's praying. And now the season's kind of over and we all, and I'm just watching people get back to their thing and hoping God's in it. But we know God's in it if we're leaning on God. And so prayer is essential. It's always been on the heartbeat of God for us to pray. But also the Word of God, friends. The Word of God is essential. And, and I say that because it seems like this, the Word of God's been sidelined or put aside for clever tricks and clever points pithy points that would stir people to believe what the preacher has to say rather than hear what God has to say. I feel like we're in a season again that requires the Word of God to be declared and preached, to be looked at again. And can I tell you, the Word of God's not a bunch of random promises that God speaks over our individual lives. I grow up, I live in America, I lead in America, and there's a whole, a whole marketing strategy of buying people's voices and speaking over your life all the promises of God. And while I can believe that's great, it's not great if the Bible does not first and foremost talk about God and His purposes, not just His promises. We don't have the right to claim promises of God for our lives if we're not walking in the purposes of God. God's purpose and God's promises are linked together. So if you're a prophetic person here this morning, please may I beg you under God to come back to the purposes of God before you walk around declaring the promises of God over God's people. Because God's purpose connects us to God's promise. And if we're not walking in the promises of God, I'm not sure we have the right to actually claim the, purpose, uh, the promises of God. Are you right? Are we friends? This is why Stan gets me in every hundred years or something like that. And so this morning, what I want to do is just stir us again, not from some great stories that I have for you, because I do have some. Not just some things that might stir our faith and some great ideas and thoughts. I might have random thoughts around of what I've seen and what I've heard. I want to take you back to the Word of God and say, this is something we as God's people, as Glenridge Church that has served faithfully for many, many years, been through some incredible good moves and some transitions and some changes, but you're not just still here hanging on. You're still here in the plans and the purposes and in the absolute sweet spot of the will of God. People have come and people have gone, and we praise God for all of it. But this I tell you, there's still a lot that God has called this great church to. We are living in the overflow and the benefit of your yes and your obedience and your continued simply cracking on with what God's called you to do. We are a blessed people. NCMI, in a sense, is who we are because of your faithfulness too. And we're grateful for your partnership. Grateful that this is somewhat of a church we can point to and say, that's what it means to be followers of Jesus in this century that we're living in. But I do want to encourage you. 
Not to listen to the stories out there and to listen to the voices and get caught up with God's, what God's doing everywhere else without recognizing what God's doing with you, trying to do in you and through you. Not one day, not in the future, right here, right now. You see, I love the church and I love Jesus. But do you know that you can love the church and not love Jesus? But you cannot love Jesus and not love His church. And I want to talk about the church this morning. But I want to remind you that the church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is the center of God's plan. You see, the church is not about people. The church is a people who are about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our regions. It's not about our cities. It's not about our nations. It's not about us. It's about Him. We are a people who are about Jesus. And so the church is not the center of God's plan. But in saying that, the church is central to God's plan. He's the center of it, and we are central to it. And we have to keep those two different because they're not the same. Because the moment it's about us, we're no longer about Him. But when it's about Him, we understand our role, our responsibility, and we have a major part to play in who Jesus has called us to be. If you've got a Bible, go to, with me please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And, and I'm pretty sure you've heard this. I'm pretty sure you know this. But when I pray for this church, and I do pray for this church, I pray a lot for you guys. Because again, I might be a little bit of a selfish prayer, but your breakthrough is our breakthrough. When you're walking in what God has for you, we get to walk in what God has for us. It's this shared inheritance. I enjoyed some time this week hanging out with your elders. Your guys have got great elders leading this church. And I, I had some fun. We had some lunch together in Johannesburg, Gauteng at our time, and we connected. And you've got some great elders. They really are good people. And they love this church. They love God. They love Jesus. And they love the church. They love you. And that's a good thing to find the elders who still do that. And so these guys are serious about the call of God because they're serious about helping us, you, walk in your inheritance, not serving them, serving God. Which means some tough cha challenges, means some tough decisions need to be made, means some radical calls got to continue to be made, not to settle in what was, not to just embrace what is, but to continue to contend for generations still to come. This is and has been a cutting-edge church. But it's not guarantee you'll stay cutting edge if you live in what was and, in, and talk about where you've come from rather than embracing what God's still got to do with every person in this room. And there is a challenge, but it's an encouragement with the challenge. God wants to encourage us, I believe, this morning. See, I, I love the favor of God. How many of you love the favor of God? And this is a favored church. This really is. I, I, God just chooses and He selects and He favors. And, and there is a favor that this church carries. There really, really is. I, I'm sure you've sensed it. doesn't mean everything goes your way. But there is something of the favor of God in this church. And, and I want to talk about the favor of God. But I want to talk about a focus of a favored church. What to focus on. Not to earn the favor, but to keep the favor of God. If you can earn favor, listen, it's not God's favor. It's not about earning. It's not about 
proving ourselves. It's about simply contending and focusing on what is it from Scripture that God favors when He favors a people. And if we can keep these things, keep them as focuses, reminders, day in and day out, not Sundays, every day, in our lives as individuals, we can walk in more of the favor of God. This is a favored people. You're a favored church. But I want to say something about favor. God's favor doesn't always look like we want it to look. See, I know a lot of people who ask for favor from God and then turn around expecting favors from God. That's not God's favor. There's a big difference between the two. I believe that God's favor is the guarantee of His presence and the provision of His power to accomplish His purpose in and through our lives. The guarantee of His presence and the provision of His power to accomplish His purpose and plan in and through our lives, and may I say, in and through Glenridge Church. Not give us your favor, now you owe me favors. Rather, your presence, your provision, your power, not so we can have, but so we can do, fulfill, and accomplish all that you have called us to. It's intended not for our convenience, are you listening? But for His purpose. And it doesn't mean your life gets easier. Can I just say, it probably means the opposite. Our lives possibly will be a little more difficult when we carry the favor of God because God will ask of us things that cannot be done without Him, but it's going to cost us because He's favored us to accomplish and fulfill the mission that He has for us. First Thessalonians chapter 1, and I do believe the Thessalonica church was a church that God favored. It was a church that was birthed in incredible opposition. It was a church that was birthed in Difficult times. Many people see me still say, gee, Tyrone, if only I lived in Bible days. It would be so much easier than what we've just gone through. I want to say, have you actually read the Bible? I mean, I would like to have lived in some of those days too, but it wouldn't have been easier than what we've been through. Are you there? These guys face radical opposition. They were not welcomed in the city. They were not welcomed in this region to plant a church. Opposition. They were put in prison for the stuff we get to do every single day. They were opposed. And it's into that place the Lord says, I'm going to establish a lampstand. I'm going to put some people, I'm going to do some stuff. Even in the opposition and the uncomfortable of the moment, I will establish some things. And I'm going to utilize this people, this group of people, to impact that region, to impact beyond that region, and to continue to be known for something, punching way above their weight, but because God said, I will favor people and I'll establish my lampstand and I'll use my people, just stick to the plan that God has called us to. And so you read this and you realize this church, the Thessalonica church, seemed to operate with the favor of God. And I'm not here to say this is how we do it. I'm saying keep focused on some of these things that Paul highlights when he writes to that church. And we can, I think, keep contending and carrying more of God's favor as we continue to take the ground he's called for us. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy 
to the church of the Thessalonians in the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. Notice, not grinning and bearing it and holding on and hoping that God's in it. Your work produced by faith. See, what I've realized is that fear rises in the absence of faith. We've been through a crazy season, and I've watched people of God being gripped by fear, and I understand it. And your nation, man, you've had some stuff go down, and you don't even know. There's so many unknowns about the future for what, God, for what the world has seen for this nation. But God, but God. And so we can't hold on and hang on and hope. It's where there is fear, and where there is no faith, fear rises. But he says, your work produced by faith. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is wrapped up in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter, the finisher, the pioneer of our faith is Jesus Christ. And so he says, your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Some versions say how your love motivates you to serve others. So Paul highlights and he says, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Now can I just say, I don't want to go there again, but I need to go there for one minute. It would seem through the season that we've all gone through, we haven't been motivated by love. The church has got in the ring and began to fight like everyone else. We've got in the wrong fight. We're taking each other out. We're in the mud and we're fighting and we are, and friends, there seems to be a lack of love motivated by love. We are not like this world. We're not of this world. We're still in it. But how can we act like them and try and win them? <laughs> I mean, if you say, what am I talking about? Just look at social media. That's what I'm talking about. We've taken each other out. We spoke about, we dislike, defollow. Dis we're, so we're so divided in the church today around the world. Meanwhile, we're on the same team, the same side. Put our opinions aside and let's contend for the love of Christ. Let's reveal the love of Jesus. Let's love this lost world the way Jesus has called us. Not love what they do, but love them. And maybe whatever lies next, hopefully under God, we have learned some lessons on how to love again so we don't come at people the way the world comes at them in the name of Jesus. Is that okay? Your labor prompted by love. And then he says, and your endurance inspired by your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so for me, the first and most important point in all of this is a people that God favors, a people that carry the favor of God have a priority. Their priority is Jesus Christ in everything. Ah, we know this. Yeah, we do certainly know this. But let me ask you this morning, how do you endure? How do you stay inspired? How do you continue to carry courage? Where does your courage come from? We've been called to be courageous in a crazy season, in, this unshakable, in, a, in a shaking world. There's this call to be courageous. Where does your courage come from? Does it come from ministry? 
Does it come from the church? Does it come from people? Does it come from your spouse? Does it come from your children? Does it come from your government? Does it come from anything other than Jesus? And here's the reality. If it is anyone else other than Him, here's the bad news. It's never, you'll never fulfill the mandate that God's given you and you will lose your way because God has made it. There's no other foundation. There's no other priority other than Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13 verse 8, an incredibly quoted scripture, but think for a moment. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If we have an anchor in anything other than Jesus, we're done. If our anchor is in Christ and Christ alone, not was it in, still is, is the anchor of your life, your soul, your purpose linked to Jesus? I, I love this church. I, I love, as I said, what you've been through. And I, I, mean, I love what you've been through, but I love that you're still kind of here, still serving. But here's the good news. Your future is not wrapped up in each other. Your inheritance is not wrapped up in each other. Your inheritance, first and foremost, is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only one that won't change. And so while we need each other and God's put us together, don't look to each other to be the inheritance. Jesus is the inheritance that we contend for. He's the one who never changes. And if anything else is changing around you, make sure, please, uh, 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 Glenridge Church, your foundation, your revelation, your priority is Jesus Christ. And God seems to favor a people that favor His Son and make much of Jesus. Can't earn it. A lot of people talk about being faithful with the little, and that is in Scripture. Jesus did teach that. But I think being faithful with the revelation of Jesus is being faithful with what God says. I can trust you with nations, cities, and regions because of the revelation you carry of my Son. Favor, priority. Our inheritance is wrapped up in the one who has called us to this, not the ones we get to do this with. So we've said this many times. The main thing is to keep the main one the main thing. Please don't keep the main thing the main thing because that thing will always take the place of Jesus. It's the main one. Is to take, keep the, main, the main thing is to keep the main one the main thing. You know, Leonardo da Vinci had this painting, and I love the story. I'm not an artist, as you can tell, but... He, he painted this incredible picture, apparently The Last Supper. Many and others have seen it. They say, and I love they because it fits into what I'm saying, so I don't know who they are. But they say that when he repainted the original painting of The Last Supper, Jesus was holding in, that painting, uh, in the original painting, Jesus had a cup in his hand. And everyone was so enamored and wild by the cup that he was holding. All the guys, before he went public, he called his friends and he said, come have a look at this painting I've painted. They came and they looked. And they were wowed by the, hand, the, the cup that was in the hands of Jesus. Eventually, Jesus uh, eventually Leonardo da Vinci was so ma not happy about everyone making much of the cup. He took a paintbrush and he painted over the, the cup. And now the cup, the hands of Jesus are empty in the painting. And his friend said, why would you do that? That's the thing we call, we're looking to, we're wowed by what, and by what you, he was holding his hand. And Leonardo da Vinci said, nothing must ever distract from the figure of Christ. And, and I'm just going to say, Glenridge, nothing, nobody, no ministry, no good thing, nothing in the hands of Jesus should ever take the place of Jesus. We must contend for that revelation of Jesus Christ, day in and day out. This church, how many years have you been going, guys? 
40 years, another 40 years. We celebrated Cornerstone last week, 40 years. Last night I preached down in Scottborough, another church that has celebrated 40 years. It's like the 40-year mark, and many churches celebrate it. And well done, praise God for longevity. But how many of you know there is a story in Scripture when Jesus in the book of Revelation is addressing seven churches? And He's talking to them and honoring for what they have done and he's also addressing what they haven't done. And the Ephesus church, 40, 30, between 30 and 50 years, they all say, he's now addressing a church that was birthed in the revelation of Christ, that was planted in the revelation of Christ by a man named Paul. And the name of the Lord was held in high honor in that city of Ephesus. Yet 30, 40, at most 50 years, Jesus is now looking at the church and he's commending them for their perseverance, that they wouldn't tolerate this stuff. And they were looking for true apostles and the fruit. All the stuff we would say, what a great church. That's what Glenridge should be. All the stuff I'd say, that is a base church. That's a church that carries genuine ministry. And Jesus commended them for all these things. And then he said, but I have one thing against you. You forgot about me. You did for me, but you forgot about me. How many of you know, if it can happen to that church, it can very easily happen to any church, even this great church. You forgot about me. I don't believe you have, but I'm challenging us to contend for the revelation of Jesus. He is our reason. He's our head. He's our hope. He's our heart. We are simply His hands and feet. Can I just tell you, my head tells my hands and feet what to do. My hands and feet don't tell my head what to do. We are His hands and feet. He is the head of the church. He's the heart of this church. He's also the hope. Colossians chapter 1. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're not the hope, but Christ in us is the hope of glory. He is our reason and He is our reward. He's our master and our first love. Through Christ our mediator, on Christ our foundation, in Christ our life giver, under Christ our Lord, unto Christ our goal, for Christ our lover, and like Christ our model. Josh got up and quoted Philippians 2. Christ, the model, he who was, not, who he was king made himself nothing. And God exalted Jesus. He's the model of all ministry. Pattern your life and ministry around Jesus Christ. He's our reason and he's our great reward. And I know you know that, but keep on pressing on because God favors a people who make much of his son, Jesus Christ. And I think there are too many trying to shine their lights publicly but don't burn for him privately. We, burn, we want to burn publicly for him, but we don't burn for him privately. The prayer of St. Patrick, may Christ shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me.
Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. How's that testimony? Can you imagine that be the testimony of Glenridge? When they think of you, they think of Christ. When they hear about you, they think of Christ. When they like you, they think of Christ. When they dislike you, they think of Christ. Christ before you, Christ above you, Christ below you, Christ next to you. Friend, what a testimony, what a prayer. That's what it is to carry the favor of God, is a people who understand. Jesus is not an add-on or a tag-on. He is the main ingredient of everything we say and everything we do. Verse 4, quickly. He says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. So not only our priority as a favored church is Jesus Christ, but our position is loved and chosen by God. See, I don't fully understand this, but this I know. It seems there's lack in the church of this revelation. And maybe this morning in this room, if you're honest, you've become about performance again and do to prove rather than understand. God calls and chooses, chooses and calls, picks and loves, loves and chooses. It's just this incredible thing. It's not based on duty. It's not based on responsibility. It's not, He loves you more because you're here today. I love you more because you're here. But He doesn't love you more because you're here. He just loves you. And until you catch that understanding, He loved and chosen, loved and chosen. You can't give what you haven't got. You can't go tell the world how much He loves them if you don't know how much He loves you. You see, this love of God is unconditional, which means no conditions. Now, two of my sons are sitting here this morning. I have one back at home in the U.S. with my wife. And these two boys, I want you to hear this this morning. I love them unconditionally. With Conditions. That's fact. I love them unconditionally, but if I'm honest, I love them more when they do what I want them to. I love them more when they represent me better, us better. I love them more when they listen to their mother. I love them more when they respect others. There are times I love them more based on their performance. I do not love them unconditionally. That's not unconditional love. But there is a Father in heaven that doesn't love like us. He loves unconditionally, and unconditionally means He loves you, period, full stop. Let that revelation grip your heart again, because you can't carry favor if you're trying to earn favor and earn position and earn the love of God. It cannot be earned. So let it go, get free, find who you are, and let Him know. He would have come just for you. Do you know that? I believe, I honestly believe that He would have left heaven just for me. If I was the only person on this planet, Jesus would have come. Why? Because He came for the, the world, He came for the masses, but He came also for the individual. And if that's true for me, then it's true for you. If you were the only person on this planet, He would have come just for you. Loved and chosen. You are loved and you're chosen. Not only does He love us, He chose us. Remember we used to sing that song, I found Jesus, delirious song. It was a great song. Theologically very wrong. Because Jesus was never found, because Jesus was never lost. Now, I know what we're saying, we found Him, but actually, biblically, you never found Him, He found you. That's even more radical. Loved and chosen, handpicked from heaven. 
You this morning in this room with all your flaws and all your issues and all your dramas and all your unknowns. And all, he chose you, handpicked from heaven for such a time as this. Good luck carrying favor if you don't get that revelation. And Paul writes and he says, loved and chosen by God. Therapeutic Christianity, you know what it says? I am valuable, so God loves me. Biblical Christianity says, I am valuable because God loves me. Big difference. Let's move on, number uh, verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words. Please see, it doesn't say it didn't come with words. But not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. The third point focus that we as the followers of Jesus need to be, the people who carry favor from what we see in Scripture. Number one, Jesus, priority Christ. Number two, position, loved and chosen. Get that in us. Not just your checklist. Let this grip our hearts. Let's go and do it. Let's go and be it. Thirdly, is power. You can't carry God's power and favor if you don't carry God's power. Holy Spirit given power. Word and Spirit. Word and Spirit. Word and Spirit. Some of us believe Word and Spirit, but are only Word rarely. Others are all Spirit. Yeah, give us the Word, but get to the Spirit stuff. They, they're not separated in Scripture. It's in it is no divide. It's one together. Word and Spirit. And if you in this room want to sideline the Word, he said not simply with Word. Word too, but not only Word, also power. See, the sanity for what we do is we're about Jesus, we're about His Word and His Spirit. And I don't know where you're at, and I realize there's still the great debate that should never ever, ever happen. It's the devil got it right by us debating something that should never be debated because it's not debated in Scripture. It was accepted, word and spirit. See, I believe the greatest threat to the word of God, please hear this, is not those who directly oppose it, but those who claim to believe it, but are ignorant to what it really says. Those are more dangerous people than those who say, I don't believe it. And we've got a generation and a church generation across the nations here in South Africa, here in Durban, and maybe some in this room who claim, I believe the Bible. I'm all in. Yes, of course it's the Word of God. Yes, I believe it. But maybe we're ignorant to what it says. So how do we know what we believe if we don't know what it says? Especially when it comes to the things of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit's revelation and the reality of who the Holy Spirit is. See, I come from America, and I, and I know we have many problems. So do you. We've said that. I want to tell you one of the dangerous things, the saddest things for me in America is there was a recent survey they did. And I'm not into surveys, but it's sometimes some guys send me surveys and they're frightening to me. And one of them recent was in a, in the, um, a recent, uh, 2021, September 21, they did a survey across 2,000 believers in the United States. And they, they came to realize that the majority of believers in the United States do not believe, while they believe God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-sufficient, they reject the notion that the Holy Spirit even exists. We have a problem. You see, many have been taught that the Holy Spirit is a blessing from God. 
And so if He's a blessing, then we have the right to reject that blessing because we don't want that blessing. But my Bible doesn't say He's a blessing from God. My Bible says He is God. So now we don't have the privilege of rejecting God. God, what will we do with God the Holy Spirit? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need to understand He's not an optional extra for deluxe Christians. He's not an optional extra for those of us who are crazy, who need an infusion to do something. He's been given to all of us, and all of us must embrace the fire of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit so we can demonstrate Jesus is alive. We can go show the world that Jesus lives, and we can carry the favor of God, the power of God, not by having an optional extra, but realizing He's God. So what do we do with God the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 3.17, most quoted verse when it comes to spiritual things. Now the Lord of the Spirit, now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? We claim that. We sing songs. They write songs about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Do you know that the Spirit of the Lord is right here, right now? And just in this room, there's not freedom. Not everyone's here free. The Holy Spirit is everywhere, all the time. Yet the majority of the world is not free. Why? Because it doesn't say where the Spirit is. It says, when you yield to the Spirit of the Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And when you yield to the Spirit as Lord, that's where freedom comes. Hello? In other words, He's here. He's never left according to the Bible. But according to many Christians, He has left. We don't need Him. He was part of what was. You don't need Him. Now He's hovering. Now, I'm just telling you, friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We've been called to walk in power. Jesus said to His disciples, do nothing but wait until you receive. You've been given authority, but you need power. Wait. You can't do this in flesh. Put your hand up if you think we need more flesh in the church. Thank you for not putting your hand up. We've seen what flesh in the church does. We need Spirit, Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See, I don't fully understand the Trinity, but this I know. Someone said, if you try and explain the Trinity, you lose your mind. But if you don't explain the Trinity, you lose your soul. I'd rather try and lose my mind than lose my soul. One God, not three gods, one God, three persons. Best way I can explain that is I'm a one person, I'm a husband, I'm a son, and I'm a father. Different roles, one God. We don't have three gods, one God, three roles. And we understand this. We love the Father's heart of God. We love the Jesus revelation. But where does the Spirit fit in in our understanding? Friends, we need to come back to Word and Spirit. Power and Word. God's given us the authority. The worst thing we can do with power, are you ready, is pretend we don't have it. Zechariah 4.6, not by might, most quoted verse. Do you know what he was saying? He was speaking to King Cyrus, and he was saying this, it's not by might. In other words, it's never going to be about the people, how many people you have. The biggest question still today in every church is how big is our church? I've never been asked how much of Jesus and how much of the Spirit is in what you're doing. It's rather how many butts sit on the seats every Sunday. And Jesus is, and the Lord's saying this, it's never going to be by the might of your people. This church can be 50,000 people. Not enough. He will never allow the numbers of people to determine what He can do. It's not by might. Then He says to King Cyrus, nor by power. In other words, it's not, I mean, no, not by might, nor by power. Not by your position as king. 
Are you listening? So it doesn't mean how many people are here today. It doesn't mean what's your position. Even elders being given great authority. I've been given authority. It's not your position or your people that's going to get the job done. Let that sink in. Glenridge Church, if you carry the favor of God. It's not going to be your people. It's not going to be your position. But by my spirit. Not this spirit. My spirit. And why I say this, not this spirit, but my spirit, is because it seems like much of the church today is running with the spirit of this age rather than the spirit of Christ. We don't need another age spirit. We need the spirit of Christ. Are you okay? Philip Yancey said, a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the supernatural, uh, the natural to supernatural status. When we don't believe the supernatural is real or we don't acknowledge, and it's not just in the world, it's in the church. If you this morning in this room would not acknowledge that Jesus and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead and He's supernatural. If there's no room for Him, guess what we do? We take natural people, gifts, and we put them at supernatural status. And guess what the Lord does? He shakes it and watches it all come down. Why does it have to come down in this church going forward? It doesn't. We keep it supernatural. God leading and guiding us where He's called. Those people out there, they don't want to see a good church. They want to see a demonstration of power in every believer. Not the apostles and prophets. Every believer carrying the authority and the power that Jesus has given to you to carry His favor in this time and season. Don't think about it. Embrace, receive. Because that's the promise from the Father to you. You say, oh, well, I like this. Can I, well, let me just say this. I'm crash landing. I'm landing, Stan. Let me just say this. I don't want, I just, we don't need to activate the Holy Spirit. Please. Do you think I need to activate God? Okay, God, I'm about to activate. He activates us. So we don't need to activate the Holy Spirit. Can I just say, we don't even have to invite Him. Do you know that He's already here? He doesn't need an invitation. He did, we didn't call Him to worship. He called us to worship. He invited us. We didn't invite Him. You know what we need to do? Simply honor Him. That's what we get to do. Not invite Him, not activate Him. Just honor Him. And when you honor Him, watch what He does. Honor Him in your life, not in your meetings. Life first. What you do in your private, that's what's going to happen here publicly. That's what's going to happen on the streets as you walk and go and do business and do your thing. Led by the Spirit, activated by the Spirit. Because you're walking in step with the Spirit. Because you're connected to the Spirit. Not in a meeting, in your own time. Walking with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying, well, you know, Tony, I like the spirit stuff, but I, I don't like the unusual. And I get that. Me too. But it's like saying, I'm going to go for a swim. I want, to, I want to try swimming, but I don't want to get wet. Try that. Even with a wetsuit, you get wet, just so you know. Okay, verse 6. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7. And so you became, not the, a model. Not the model, a model. To all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Why can we not look to this church we have, 
but why not going forward? Can we not say, rather than go to the book of Acts and long for what was and wish we could just get back to the baby church, why can't we continue to point towards this congregation, these people, and say, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. That's what it means in 2023 to be a people of God connected together, all walks, all diversity, all giftings, all graces, all colors, working together but following Jesus. Why do we have to keep going to the Scripture rather than say, there's the Scripture and there's a lifeline. There it is right there. These guys are walking in the favor of God. Of course, the Bible is what I go to, but why long for what the baby church is when God's called this church, that church, to function beyond those things and keep walking in the plan and the purposes of God? I live in a nation where so we need a Christian government and we need Christian policies and we need Christian doctors and we need Christian lawyers and we need Christian school teachers. And we need, can I say Christian businesses and Christian ministries? Are, we need all those things, but more than all those things, you know what we need? Christian Christians. Too many of us are looking to others to be it when God says, you be it, just be a Christian. He needs Christian Christians. Don't need more Christian businesses, just needs Christians. Christian government, until we get a Christian government. My country, if our president's not a Christian, God can't use our nation. I'd love to find that in Scripture. Some of you have bought into that. Until we get a Christian and a real politician, I'm not getting into politics. He's not looking for Christian governments. He's not looking for Christian books, Christian music, Christian songs. He's looking for his Christians, followers of Jesus, to simply be Christians wherever they go. Be an example. Be it. So people can say, that's what it means. Verse 8. It says, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. See, the thing about these guys is they were proclaiming. They didn't hold on to. You're not going to see the, this church, the Thessalonica church, hang on to what they got. When they received the gospel, the Thessalonians had no intention on keeping it to themselves. From the beginning, they functioned as a going and sending apostolic. We've tagged this word apostolic and made it something it's not. It's simply going and sending. And when these guys received it, they went and sent it wherever they went. And they went out. The message wasn't kept. It rang out. See, God favors the people who get there. And this church was birthed in that apostolic model and understanding. Glenridge, you've got that heartbeat. But let me ask you, is it still in you? Not just to your cities and your streets, which is essential, but also to the nations of the world. Ah, oh, you had to go there. No, no, I didn't. The Bible did. God's talking to us, friend. This church has impacted nations. I've been to the world. I travel the world. And wherever I go, there have been people being impacted from Glenridge Church, pre and during and after COVID and all. And I'm just challenging you. You want to carry the favor of God? Carry on with proclaiming the gospel everywhere where God calls you to go. I keep saying the early church functioned like a lifeboat, but it seems like today's church is functioning like the love boat, the placid boat. Do you remember that? I say that in people, young kids, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I used to live here, and that's what it was called, but it's called the love boat. And the love boat is a boat that exists for everyone on that boat. Everything's about us, and, and that's cool, but it's not in the Scriptures. I was recently back in Australia. I love being back there, and I was, I was at, uh, staying in Sydney, at Darling Harbour, and when I was at Darling Harbour, there's all these yachts and boats and catamarans, and I walked every morning praying, and I just looked at these, 
the, 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 the opulence and the boats. And, the, and I'm just thinking, these are unbe- and everything's decked out and set out for everybody to lay out and enjoy. It's all for pleasure. And I thought, gee, that's amazing. Man, that's beautiful. Wow, I wonder what that costs. Gee, I'd love to go on that ship. I'd love to be on that boat. But right next to all the opulence is the Maritime Museum. And there's these ugly, gray battleships that are sitting next to the catamarans and yachts. And I'm going to just tell you, there's nothing attractive about a battleship. I I was like, whoa, I'd rather be... But let me tell you this, if I understand mission and if I'm in a war, if I'm in a battle, don't send me a catamaran. Send me the cannons and the warship that knows how to fight, that's built for mission, not built for pleasure. Too many churches are buying into the pleasure dome rather than the mission dome. We've been called to take ground. We've been called to storm the gates. And we've got to shift our thinking again. The message doesn't come to us. The message rings out from us. Charles Spurgeon said it's the whole mission of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And I know that your nation needs the gospel, but so do the unreached nations. I'm not here to put pull strings on your, tug your emotional strings, but Jesus is about the uttermost parts of the earth as well as he is about Durban and KZN and South Africa and Africa. He's the whole world. They say, and I don't know who they are, but let me use them again, that every 24 hours in a Western culture, which would still be South Africa, some wouldn't have the privilege of hearing the gospel preached. But in an unreached region, every 30-something years, someone will have the privilege of hearing the gospel preached once. See, we're waiting to, for the second return of Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus to come back again the second time. Many have never heard the first time that Jesus has come. And, and I'm not saying sit here and feel bad. I'm saying there's a call, there's a commission. Take this gospel everywhere you go. That's why you carry the favor of God. Now, there are regions we walk in because of this church and because of men and women who are gripped by the gospel and understanding of kingdom that have been able to unlock and open regions we'd never be able to go to plant a church, but they understood kingdom businesses to unlock, to get this gospel to regions. And the unreached regions need kingdom business people to unlock those regions so we can continue to plant churches, get this gospel to the earth so Jesus can come back. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, all these things will begin to happen as signs that the end is coming. But then he says in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now note that was not the commission. Matthew 28 is the commission. That was a promise. That gives me courage that Jesus said this gospel will be preached to all nations, all people groups. 7.8 billion people on this planet, they say 3.3 billion have never heard the gospel. Never had the privilege of rejecting it because they've never actually heard it. Glenridge, don't feel bad. Keep walking in the call. Nations, regions, cities, places. You say, well, church planning, what about church planning? You know that world evangelization is a fantasy if we don't plant churches. 
Church planting is not a good idea. It's not an NCMI thing. It's in Scripture. There's a pattern in Scripture. If you believe in getting the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, we have to multiply, reproduce, and plant churches. That's God's way. So it's not how many churches partner with us, how much of the gospel is getting out. Let's crack on with multiplication. People say, ah, if you plant a church, you might make disciples. But let me say this. If you make disciples, you will plant churches. It's the natural progression of a disciple or a follower of Christ. Some will just go and plant churches. It's not that we have to make it happen. It's the response in being a follower of Jesus. So planting churches doesn't guarantee we make disciples. But making true disciples guarantees churches will be planted as people respond to Jesus and follow Him. You okay? Sandy, am I coming back or is that my party over? We've got to keep that planting mentality. Heartbeat in this church. You guys have planted many. Praise God. But there's more to do. It's not do it for me. Not do it for NCMI. Not do it for your city. Not do it for your region. Do it for Jesus. Carry the favor of God. Let's continue to multiply. Let me land with this. Verse, he says, Therefore we do not need to say anything about it. Verse 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. I tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. To wait for the Son, His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The sixth point that I have, I don't know how many points you got, but is perspective. These guys lived with an eternal perspective. You see, they believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. They lived for the return of Jesus. I think COVID forced us, in a sense, to get back to what really matters. But I'm watching now us getting back to the irrelevant things again. Can you imagine being gripped with eternity? Can you imagine what we would do day in and day out if the church was truly aware that Jesus is coming back? I believe He's coming back soon. I do believe He's coming back when I'm alive. If I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. Don't come fight me. I know some of you got theologies. He can't come back forever, and we're just sitting on our hands saying it can't happen. I think we've got an ability to play a role in this, and if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. I'm doing my utmost. But if He's coming back soon, we've got a job to do. Can you imagine living with the revelation that Jesus could come back while you're alive? They believed it. Look how they lived. You see, for so long we've said this, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And that's a big deal, right? It's a big question. How you answer that determines your eternity forever. But can I just say the majority of us leave it there. It's the same question should be asked for all of us who are believers here. If you wake up tomorrow morning, which is highly likely, who or what will you live for? Something about kingdom revelation, something about perspective of eternity, something about the return of Jesus, He's coming soon, and to wait for the return of Christ. When you live with that, what you live for has significance. No longer does it matter what you do on a Sunday morning in the pulpit. I didn't get to preach, so I didn't find relevance. No, no, my relevance is He's coming back. I have an eternal perspective, and everything I do, if I'm doing what He's called me to do, it matters. Business people, you matter, not because of your business, because you're living in the call of God, and you're living with significance. It doesn't matter about success, it matters about significance. And eternity gives us significance to everything we do. C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. 
Someone. He also says prosperity knits a person to this world. He feels that he's finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. I don't believe you can confess that the world is not your home. Yet fear giving up the keys to your house. This life is the dress rehearsal for the next life. This life is the dressing room. This is not the main game. This is the dressing room forever. And when you catch that revelation and we get it not once a month, once a year, every day. You carry the favor of God. You know what you're involved in matters. Even if no one else sees it, it doesn't matter. He sees it. His significance. Jesus is coming back. We carry the favor of God when we understand the end is near. Can we pray? Is that okay, Stan? Are you with me? You good? Your friends? Come back tonight. It's going to be way better. Just close your eyes for a moment, if you don't mind. I'm going to hand back to Stan in a moment. But I, I do want to just... I want to ask you to respond to God, not to me. Glenridge, you're in an incredible church. I mean that. I hope you sense more than just a challenge, the love of God here. There's a love from God for this church. We love this church. But there's a fresh call. And I know you've heard this. And I know you know this. I know it's in the heartbeat of this eldership. But there's a fresh call. There's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a different adjustment that needs to be made. What will you do with what God has said? Go home and pray about it. That's not what he's asking. Go think about it. Ponder on these food for thought, not what he's asked. See, when God speaks, he looks for a response. I do. Go do. Go be. And I know that some of you are doing this. I, I say keep going for the Lord. But perhaps some of us have got distracted or just paused waiting for the next. There's a favor here that not many churches carry. And I don't know how to say well done, because you didn't do it. He gave it to you. But there's no guarantee you're going to keep it if you don't stick to what He's called you to. You can't earn it. But if you focus on what these guys focused on, I believe God says you'll keep carrying my presence, my purpose, my power to fulfill my call for individuals and for a corporate people called Glenridge Church. So if I can ask you, if I, I don't have the right to do this, but I ask you if you would be willing to say, I'm in, I'm all in, I want this, I'm going to be this. Would you mind standing, not for me, just to make a declaration between you and the Father, saying, yeah, I'm all in. Just do it, if you would, not for me. But just, again, not responding to man, please. I'd rather walk away now, but I feel like just you telling God, oh God, we have had great days, glory days, but the best truly is still to come, because we're still here and you haven't finished with us. Would you just raise your hands if you're okay to do that? Father, this is an incredible group of people. This is a battleship. This is a rescue boat. This is a lifeboat. Has been, is being, but you've continued asking them to continue to be. I pray the revelation of Jesus will grip us afresh. Not tagged on or added on or reference, but the main theme of everything. I pray it won't be just a corporate thing, but individuals in this room who make up the corporate gathering, 
Let us take this revelation for ourselves. Let us not grow weary. Let us not get so obsessed with ministry and the stuff we do for you or the cup that's in your hand that we miss the figure of Jesus. Please, Lord, arrest our hearts afresh with the revelation of your Son. I pray that those who are struggling with identity this morning and position and task and roles and responsibilities and all the stuff we've got to do to prove, would you break it off people's lives? Break it today. We're not earners of anything. We loved and chosen. Period. I pray those who are struggling, break today. Let it be broken. No longer a struggle. But we find our identity. He loves me. Full stop. And He chose me. Full stop. I pray this thing with the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Not just be something we go think about. We, we open our hearts afresh to you, Holy Spirit, today. And say, come breathe life. We yield to the Spirit as Lord. That's where we find freedom. Where we've walked in some things, where we walk in more. When we've walked away from things, we come back to you, Holy Spirit, and say, come and guide us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Where we've perhaps been involved in some mission, we want to be involved in all your mission. Use us for your glory. Please, Lord, have your way amongst us. And may we be captivated by you and your return, which gives us perspective and significance in every single day living for the King and for the kingdom. Bless this church. Multiply this church. More we pray. More of the fulfillment of promises and more of the plans and the purposes of God. More generations, more nations, more cities, more regions, more resources, people coming, people going. Favor. Thank you for the favor they carry. But would you give them even greater favor, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.